for $20,000, here's the question. Okay, really not for $20,000. But here's the question. Seven million acres of America is covered in what? Somebody over here. Jeff, I think you said it. What did you say? It is kudzu. Kudzu. There it is. Is that anybody's backyard, by the way? All right. Um, if you're from Bibb, Tuscaloosa County, that's our official county plant. <laughs> that or marijuana. I'm really not sure which it may be these days. Another name for kudzu is kind of called foot a night. People say that it can grow a foot a night. That seems to be true. It is aggressive, to say the least. It will overtake anything in its path. Houses, vehicles, power poles, lazy people who move too slowly, perhaps. It just has a way of taking over everything. And men, I want to ask you this question this morning. What would our lives be like, gentlemen, if God's word was like that in our hearts? What would our lives be like, men, if the word of God was overtaking everything in our hearts and in our lives, everything in us and through us and from us and about us and everything around us to the point that the word of God is dominating, gentlemen, our attitudes, our thoughts, our actions, our choices, our decisions. Wouldn't that be just a phenomenal thing to see? To see a man who so loves Jesus and is so dependent upon his life-giving word that that man's life is radically transformed by the Spirit of God working through the Word of God for the glory of God. What would that be like? I think Paul describes a life that is overtaken by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. He says it's the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And man, I don't know about you, but that's the life I wanna live. And, and I wanna live that kind of life because I know that when I do live that kind of life, it won't be me living that life, it'll be Jesus in me living that life. And so at the first moment that anybody may commend me for living a life like that, that becomes an incredible opportunity to say, it's not me, but Christ in me. Only he can live that kind of life. The reality is, though, that too few of us who claim to be followers of Jesus have a heart, have a life that this morning is overtaken by the word of God. Too few of us who claim to love Jesus have lives that just are falling short of bearing the fruit of the spirit that Paul talked about in Galatians 5. Too few of us know what that's really like. If, if we're honest today, we would probably say that our lives are best described not by being overtaken by the word, but being overtaken by the world. That's probably 
a more accurate description of most of our lives. We're overcome by the world. We're overwhelmed by the world. We're overworried by the world. And most of us would probably say, on the typical day, we're just trying to keep our heads above water. We're just trying to make it through without completely blowing it. Just trying to tread the water and survive this thing that we called life. Gentlemen, if we are honest today, I think most of us would probably say, not only is God's word not overtaking and dominating my life, it's not even growing. It's not even growing in many of us. It's not growing out of us. It's certainly not overtaking us. Our words come out, don't they, guys? So often without a thought for, how does this line up with Scripture? How often do we make a choice, a decision, we step into a, a moment, an opportunity with not even the smallest thought of how does the light of God's word instruct me in this and, and guide me in this situation and in this moment. And, and what this points to, gentlemen, is there's a problem in our hearts and Jesus is gonna speak to that today out of his word. We have finally made it to Matthew 13. After being camped out in Matthew chapter 12 for so long and I have a sneaky suspicion we'll probably be in Matthew 13 even longer than we were in Matthew chapter 12 because when we get to Matthew chapter 13, Jesus begins to teach us through what's called parables. The word parables comes from two words. Para, meaning to come alongside. It's where we get words like parallel. And the second word is bole. Bole, like you're going bowling. It is actually kind of like that because the Greek word bole means to throw down. So when Jesus is teaching from a parable, he's throwing down two things side by side. Some of us who grew up in church, who grew up in Sunday school, we were taught that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, Right? These are the two things that Jesus is going to be throwing alongside each other, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He's doing this for the purpose of comparison, of creating an analogy, an illustration. It's a way of getting a point across. The parable that we're going to look at today is important for a couple of reasons. One, most Bible scholars think that this is probably the very first parable that Jesus ever used to teach. I think this one's also important because if we can get our hearts and minds around this parable, I think it's going to help unlock the other parables that we're going to bump into. So this first parable is kind of the key to help us understand all the other parables. And of all the teachings of Jesus, if you have a red letter Bible where the sayings of Jesus are in red, one third of those are parables. Jesus used this a lot in his ministry. So let's look at it. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. That same day, so we've turned the page into chapter 13, but it's the same day we were reading about much of in Matthew chapter 12. He has just finished saying, Who are my mother and brothers and sisters? These are my brothers and brothers and sisters. And he was in a house, right? When he said that, his mother and his brothers were trying to get to him. 
chapter 13, verse 1 says that same day, Jesus went out of that house and he sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so much so that he got into a boat and he sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. Let me set the scene and show you where we believe this actually happened. If you were in Israel with us earlier this year, you can see the road right on the bottom corners of the screen there. The road that goes that way was back to our hotel in Tiberias. If you follow the road that way, it ends in Capernaum, just up the hill from what you see right there behind us is where uh, the Sermon on the Mount was preached. That may give you some idea where we are. And, and they, they call this little cove there, this little place in the water, the, the Sower's Cove. And it's believed that this is where Jesus, because the crowds got so big that he got into a boat and cast out a little bit, and he began to teach what we're going to hear here today from that very place. The way the land is situated there, you can see an orchard that's probably a date orchard there beside the road. That was kind of like a natural and still is amphitheater. So Jesus sitting on the boat, projecting across the water into that amphitheater. This was the perfect place for a very large crowd of people to hear what it is that Jesus had to say. Thought you'd just find that interesting. Verse 3. And he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower or a farmer went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Now, you may remember back in Matthew chapter 12, it started with Jesus and his disciples are traveling, and they're passing through some fields. That was common in that day, that on the boundaries of people's fields, there would be paths. There weren't a lot of highways and byways and roads, especially in the rural areas. And so people were permitted to follow those paths through people's fields. Jesus is speaking about this here. These paths were well-worn. They were well-traveled. They were packed down. And so some of the seed that's sown would have fallen over on that path, but the problem is it's not going to grow on that path because that path is as hard as concrete. Nothing could penetrate on that path. And so the birds would quickly come down and eat the seed that had fallen there. Jesus goes on, verse 5. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. They had some soil. This isn't boulders in the ground. These are rocks beneath the surface, and so immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Now listen, for most of the people who are sitting in that little amphitheater that day, they're not hearing anything new. This is so far not stunning information to them. This is basic agriculture. And in that agrarian society then, everybody would have understood clearly, yeah, this is everyday kind of life for us. The people knew that sometimes when people go out to sow the seed, sometimes it's going to fall on the path. That's the nature of it. Sometimes it's going to fall where you don't know there's rocks beneath the surface, and it's going to grow up fast, and then it's going to die fast. And sometimes you're not going to know that there's some seeds germinating, some weeds germinating in that same soil, and you don't know that it's going to come up and it's going to choke out what you've tried to plant there. The people know all this. None of this is new information until Jesus says what he says next. And what he says next grabs their attention. Look at verse 8. He says, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some 
a hundredfold. And right there is when they went, what? A hundredfold. Some 60, some 30. See, the average crop might multiply maybe five times. Maybe a bumper crop, a really great crop, might multiply 10 times. But here Jesus is not describing a good crop. He's not even describing a, a great crop. He's certainly not describing a crop that you would consider to be natural. He is, in fact, can, uh, explaining and describing a crop that is supernatural. He's describing something here that goes beyond just normal soil and normal nutrients and normal water and normal seed. In fact, he's talking about a particular kind of seed that's packed with supernatural power, and this captures their attention. What kind of seed can multiply a hundred times? What kind of seed has that kind of power? What kind of seed has that kind of supernatural potential? And I believe that when Jesus said a hundredfold, I believe the Jewish minds caught something there, because there's only one other place in their scriptures, in the Old Testament at that time, where anything was talked about in terms of a hundredfold. And that one singular time was important to them. It stood out to them because it had to do with the origins of their people and of their nation. We find that in Genesis chapter 6, in verse 12. It says, and Isaac, that is the son of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, the promise of God. Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. See it? Now how did that happen? Look at the next four words. The Lord blessed him. That's how something produces a hundredfold. The only way something can produce a hundredfold is for the blessing of the Lord, in all caps by the way, the blessing of the Lord to be upon it. And when the people heard just now Jesus say a hundredfold, I think they remember that God had blessed their forefather Isaac. And Jesus is saying to these people, I'll do it again. I'm the same Lord and I can still bring this kind of increase. Only remember, he's telling an earthly story. He's gonna provide the heavenly meaning. He's bowling two lanes, if you would. Earthly story, heavenly meaning. So what does he mean by this? What kind of seed is he talking about? And what's this path? And what's the rocks? And what's the thorns? And what's the soil have to do with this? Jesus says, verse nine, he who has ears, let him hear. Which seems to imply that some of the people there hearing that on that amphitheater hillside, some of them were on their way to understanding it. It was beginning to click with them. But it also seems to imply that other people weren't getting it. They weren't connecting the dots. They could not hear. They did not have ears to hear. Not literal physical ears, but the spiritual ears that would give them understanding in their hearts. They lacked that. They couldn't understand what Jesus was throwing at them. And so there's probably a little bit of confusion in the crowd that day, in the amphitheater. Some people kind of going, huh, interesting. Some people going, I think I understand. Some people going, he's crazy. This makes no sense whatsoever. So probably a little bit of buzz in the audience. Like, I don't know, sometimes I'd pay good money for a little buzz among y'all sometimes. Just saying. Maybe even a little booing in the audience that day. 
Verse 10 says, then the disciples came and they said to him, why do you speak in parables? Not everybody understands this. This is kind of foggy and confusing and it's hard to understand. Why are you doing this? And he answered them. Now listen, if you'll remember what he's about to say, if you'll remember how he's about to answer this question, it's going to help us understand the rest of the parables he's going to teach going forward. He says, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. It's been given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. What does he mean by secrets of the kingdom? I take that to mean he's talking about the fact that the kingdom of heaven and the work of the Messiah have been prophesied for so long by his prophets throughout the Old Testament. And for some who have encountered Jesus face to face, like his disciples and others, they're connecting the dots. They're they're beginning to see this is what God has been telling us. This is what God has been preparing us for It was a mystery, it was a secret, it was concealed in the Old Testament, but now God is in flesh and it's being revealed now to us. Jesus, as Matthew has told us again and again, is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. To them it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. They're putting it together, verse 12. For to the one who has, who has what? Who has understanding. To the one who's beginning to get it, who understands this is what the prophet said. This is the kingdom of heaven. It's come. The Messiah has come. Jesus says, for the one who has, more will be given. If you're getting it, he says, you're going to get it even more. More revelation is coming. More understanding is coming. More light's coming. More will be given. And he will have an abundance, from the, but from the one who has not. Who is that? The one who doesn't get it. And they don't get it because they don't want to get it. They've been resisting. The people of God have been resisting for hundreds of years. They've been rejecting the message. They've been rejecting the prophets. And now they're rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting his authority. They're rejecting his message. They're rejecting his invitation into his kingdom. And so they don't get it. And Jesus says about them, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Even what he does understand will be taken away. Why? Because they're rejecting, they're rebelling. I think this is another way that Jesus is saying, I'm I'm giving them over to a reprobate mind. Their hearts are just gonna be darkened now in their ongoing persistent rebellion. Look at verse 13. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables. So listen, we're, we're, we're gonna hit a string of parables for a while in Matthew 13. And you gotta remember what he just told us. This is why I'm teaching in parables. This is why I speak them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. This is Jesus saying, they have full on rejected me. They can see me, but they don't wanna see me. They can hear me, but they don't wanna hear me. They're refusing to believe. He says, verse 14, indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. God said, this is exactly what I told you the people were gonna do. Isaiah told us, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. Why? Because this people's heart has grown dull. Another word for that is hardened. Their hearts are like that path that the seed fell on. 
Their hearts have become like concrete. They have consistently turned away from the truth. They have consistently turned away from the heart of God. Over and over they have repeated this pattern of turning away from God. And Isaiah had prophesied 700 years before the time of Jesus that this would ultimately lead these people to a place where their hearts would no longer be able to receive the truth of God. So hardened so dull of hearing, incapable of receiving the truth of God. And he says, and with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. They don't want to see the Messiah. They don't want to know who he is. They've closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. See, that's why. That's why they're closing their ears and their eyes. They don't want to turn. They want to go their own way. They don't want to be under the authority of another. He says, lest they turn, I would heal them, he says. But they don't want to be healed. They don't want to hear. They don't want to see. They don't think they need to be healed. They're prideful and arrogant and self-righteous. They think they have no need of the great physician. But then Jesus looks at those following him. His disciples, not just the 12, but many others as well, I'm sure. And he says of them, verse 16, but, and I love that, having just described these hardened hearts, Jesus looks probably with a smile on his face, and he says, but, blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people they longed to see what you see, and they did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. In other words, Jesus says, you're connecting the dots. You're putting it together. You're understanding the secrets and the mysteries because you want to. You know you need to. There's a humility, an eagerness, a receptivity, to the word, to the truth of God that so many others didn't have. So look, now, students, Jesus is about to throw out the other side, right? He's thrown down the earthly story. Here comes the parable. He's gonna throw down the heavenly meaning. And notice the first word here in verse 18. It's the word hear. It, it, it's an imperative. It's a command. Hear, he says, which implies there are people in the crowd that still have the opportunity to hear. They still have the opportunity to interact with God in his word and respond to that. And that means today, listen, there are people here today. Maybe you've been hardening your heart. Maybe you've been rejecting Jesus, resisting Jesus, rebelling against Jesus. But it could be today that you still, by God's grace and mercy, you can still hear. He's not yet withdrawn his hand from you. He is still kindly and mercifully at work in your life. I hope that's you today. I hope that you haven't consistently resisted the gracious work of God in your life for so long that you sit here today and none of this is getting through. I hope that's none of you. Jesus says, verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes. And by the way, does not understand it doesn't mean they can't understand it. It means they won't. They refuse. And the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Right? Parables. He's connecting it. Verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word 
and immediately receives it. Unlike the path, there's some reception of it and they receive it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And then tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word and immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word. And it proves unfruitful. Jesus here is describing three types of soil or hearts. This is the heavenly meaning. He's describing three kinds of hearts in which the word of God is not going to grow. Three types of hearts in which the word of God will not grow and certainly will not overtake that life like kudzu. It won't happen. He's talking about the hearts of people. He's not just talking about the hearts of wicked people, by the way. He's talking about the hearts of good, decent, church-going people like me and you here today. Hearts that are dormant, it seems, right now in terms of the Word of God growing. And unless there's a great change in those hearts, in perhaps even your heart or mine today, unless there's a great change in our hearts, the Word of God won't grow certainly will not overtake our lives. So let's look at this today on your notes. Write this down, three hearts. The word of God will not grow in. Let's talk fast, let's write fast, let's listen fast, let's go. Three hearts, the word of God will not grow in. Number one, the distracted heart. The distracted heart, God's word will not grow in hearts that are distracted by this ceaseless parade of activity. His word will not grow in hearts that are distracted by a ceaseless parade of activity. We are busy people, so busy we run from here to there, always rushing, always hurrying. And if we're not, we're always looking for something to occupy our mind, to take our mind off something else, something to distract us, something to occupy us. Countless hours spent looking at a screen, spent looking at our phones, always setting our mind's attention to things in this world. Look back at verse three, back to the earthly meaning. And he told them many things in parables, saying a sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds, fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. What's going on on that path? It was a busy path, like your life today. That path was busy, ceaseless activity, back and forth, men and women, children, animals, back and forth, places to go, people to see, things to do, and the soil was so hardened and so packed down by all that activity that the seed could not penetrate, could not get into the dirt, and Jesus says the birds came, and they devoured that seed up just as soon, really, as it hit the path, and he begins to give the heavenly meaning to that in verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, cannot understand it, won't understand it, the evil one comes, and he snatches away what's been sown in his heart. Jesus says, this is what was sown along the path. He's saying, some of your hearts today are just like that path. It never stops with you. You're in perpetual motion, mentally and emotionally and physically. Your hearts are a ceaseless parade of activity. And the soil of your hearts are trampled down day after day after day after day. And your hearts have gotten so hard. And along comes a preacher on a Sunday morning. And he's not the best, but doggone it, he's preaching the best. He's preaching the word. And he sows it out there, but it falls on your hard hearts because you've been so busy all week. And you're tired and you're exhausted from all the busyness and all the distractions of this world. And the word lands on your heart and it just sits there and Jesus says, 
said, and as soon as it hits your heart, man, here comes the evil one. Here comes Satan, and he's snatching it up. As soon as it hits. Easy pickings for the evil one. Listen, this is a hard reality that us preachers have to live with. That we're gonna sow the word of God. And as soon as it comes out of my mouth and sometimes even hits my own heart, because I'm a listener just like you, as soon as it hits some of your hearts, we're already distracted. Already looking at our phones. Already thinking about where's lunch gonna be. Already thinking about we're gonna get out of here how late. It ain't even a question if it's late, it's how late, right? I know, I know. But you're already distracted because you're thinking that. You're having those conversations internally. Gotta get out of here. Instead of allowing the word of God to penetrate our hearts because our hearts are hardened, too busy, distracted, The word barely touches us, and Satan's grabbed it. I think you know what I'm talking about. Activities, life, stuff, parading up and down, up and down our lives, up and down our hearts all day, every day. We might know the word of God at a surface level, but it's not deeply penetrating our hearts. It's not overtaking our lives. We have no room for it in our hearts. Our hearts have become so compacted with everything else we're pouring into our hearts. There's no room left for the word. If you say, Pastor, that's me this morning. Men, tonight, man, we're going to have an opportunity for the word of God to impact us deeply tonight. What if today, no mistake, that God put us at Matthew 13. I didn't schedule it like this. But that God would put us at Matthew 13 today to say, men, don't come in this place tonight with your heart hardened. If you're saying, Pastor, that, that's my heart, what, what do I do? Well, you do what I do and need to do so often. It's repent. Repent of allowing my heart to be a highway of busyness rather than a home for Jesus. To repent of that. To learn to pursue the Lord in silence, in solitude, to be still. And to know he's God. Gentlemen, when's the last time you just pursued silence and solitude and said, God, I'm just going to sit here before you quietly until I hear you. Until I am reminded deeply in my heart that you are God. Gentlemen, let's make our hearts ready today to receive and to be overcome by the transforming word of God. Number two. Why are we talking about three hearts? The word of God will not grow in. Number two, the driven heart. The driven heart. God's word will not grow in hearts that are driven by waves of emotion. Our hearts should be driving us. Instead, we allow circumstances and emotions to drive our hearts. Verse five, Jesus, back to the earthly story, says other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched and since they had no root, they withered away. And then Jesus, verse 20, he lays down the heavenly meaning. I know we're back and forth. Get used to it. It's Jesus teaching, not mine. We gotta learn to follow him here. Verse 20 throws down the heavenly meaning. He says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy. Unlike the pathway hearts, 
The seed can get into the heart of the person that is driven by emotions. It gets into it quickly, but it doesn't last. He says, verse 21, yet he has no root in himself because the, the, the soul's shallow. He endures for a while, and when tribulation, persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Jesus is talking about rocks in the soil just beneath the surface. Those rocks weren't visible. They're just below the surface. The farmers removed all the rocks he could see. It looked like this was good. It looked like this was good soil, but just below the surface, there were some things lurking. Gentlemen, sound familiar? We come in here today and we look like our hearts are, are good to go, ready to get in deep with God's word and God's people, but just below that first layer of topsoil of our hearts, there's something lurking beneath. And Jesus says that the seed got into that shallow soil. The rains came and it gave that seed some nutrients, but there was no room for the nutrients to go downward and root it. So all the nutrients went upward and it sprang up immediately because it sprang up immediately and the sun came out. It had no damp soil to sink in and hydrate and eventually, quickly, it was burned up. It was scorched when the heat got turned up. When the heat, gentlemen, when the heat, gentlemen, got turned up, it couldn't last. It withered because it was rooted in some kind of hidden hardness. Jesus says there's people who receive God's word just like that. They, they receive it. There's joy. They say the right things. They look the right part. They talk a good game. But something isn't right beneath the surface. There's a hidden hardness. There's a hidden stubbornness. There's a hidden inflexibility. There's hidden pride. There's hidden arrogance. There's hidden selfishness and rather than doing the hard work of taking a pickaxe and digging those rocks up we prefer to live shallow we prefer to live on our feelings we prefer to live on our circumstances our emotions our opinions rather than the word of God it becomes all about what I think and what I feel. We give the appearance of being joyful about the things of God and his kingdom. Jesus says there's joy in them, but you know it's what he said, but when trouble comes, joy's gone. When trouble comes, joy's gone. One minute, this is a man that is excited about the things of God, and the next minute, because something didn't go his way. The next minute, because somebody rubbed him the wrong way, the next minute, he's angrier than a demon on his way to hell. Why? Because below the surface of the heart, there's something terribly wrong. Gentlemen, maybe you're thinking, Pastor, that's, that's me. I don't want to admit it, but that's me. What should I do? Well, we need to ask the Lord to help us identify the rocks in our hearts. God, show me what the rocks are and help me get them out. The thing about rocks is they just keep surfacing. If you've ever gardened, they, it's, like, it's like we grow rocks. Rocks just have a way of coming to the top. Gentlemen, until we see Jesus face to face, we're gonna have to keep dealing with the rocks in our hearts. 
they're just going to continue to surface. But you could be here today and it's been a long time since you went rock collecting. And you need to get the rocks out. The farmer can pick up all the rocks today, but there's going to be more rocks tomorrow. Maybe God is surfacing some rocks in your heart. You dealt with something a long time ago. When's the last time you really got before the Lord and dealt with those rocks in your heart today? Gentlemen, let's make our hearts ready this morning to receive the word that God's going to sow tonight. I'm, I'm good. I'm good playing the role of the guy preparing you. I don't, listen, I don't even have to be here tonight when God breaks out in this place. But I'm telling you, man, we've got to get our hearts ready for what God, I believe, is intending to do. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the transforming power of God's word. What are we saying? Three hearts, the word of God will not grow in. Third heart, the divided heart. The divided heart. God's word will not grow in hearts that are divided. Divided between worshiping God and worrying about the stuff of this world. Jesus says in verse seven, other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Once again, like the rocky soil, this soil looked good. Man, there wasn't like a thicket of thorns. No, he says they grew up too. They were beneath the surface. They were germinating, gentlemen, like some things in our hearts this morning, germinating just beneath the surface. Now listen, Jesus throws down the heavenly meaning, verse 22. He says, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. They hear it. But there's a problem. The cares of the world loom larger in their ears and in their minds than God's word. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Again, this doesn't show on the surface. This is the man that walks into the church. Hey, brother, what's up, man? Yeah, amen, amen. I'm good, I'm good, how are you? Me too, man, I'm good, I'm good. But just below that subsurface, something's beginning to grow. There's some sin growing, some controlling desire that is growing. What is that inside of you, gentlemen, that Nobody sees today. You see it. God sees it. And if you leave that thing unchecked in your heart, it's going to grow. And it will choke the word and the work of God in your life. What is it growing, men? Greed? Lust? Pride? What's growing, gentlemen? Anger? Bitterness? You may, not, you may think you've got it under control right now, but it will rise up and choke you out. He says, cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches. God's word will not grow in hearts that are divided between worshiping God and worrying about the stuff of this world. You say, no, I'm good. And Jesus says, no, you're not. There's some stuff happening there beneath the surface. Listen, if God's showing you guys this morning that thorns are in your heart, they're gonna grow. They are growing. What do you do? Well, you don't get a, a little plastic beet shovel and go, here, Jesus. 
you, you don't get some hedge clippers like I had out the other day. Well, let's just trim them back, make them socially acceptable. That's not what you do with weeds. Holy Spirit, let's get in here deep. And let's get them up by every single root that's in our hearts. Give God your whole heart and ask him to do the deep work of uprooting everything that is not his word. That's not rooted in and consistent with his word. Gentlemen, let's make our hearts ready this morning to receive the overcoming, life-giving, transforming word of God today. Let's do that hard work, man, to be ready to encounter God and his word tonight. Let's confess, gentlemen, today. And I know I keep talking to the men, but ladies, I know you hear this. I know you need this as much as we do. So let's confess to the Lord that our hearts, they have been distracted lately by ceaseless waves of activity. And our hearts have gotten harder. Let's confess to the Lord this morning that our hearts have been driven by waves of emotion. We're good, we're not good. We're happy, we're not happy. We're all over the place. It's driving your wife crazy, by the way. Your kids, it's not right, it's not fair. Because you're driven by circumstances. Driven by the demands of the moment. Not driven by God's word. Let's confess to the Lord this morning that our hearts have been divided between worshiping God and being consumed with worry over the things of this world. Men, if we'll come before the Lord today confessing these things and repenting to the Lord, we can get ourselves in position tonight and the days to come to be overcome and overtaken by the transforming word of God in our lives. Listen, gentlemen, I have no interest in one big pep rally tonight. May God do a work today, tonight, that puts us on the path and in a position to be transformed moment by moment, day after day, us, our families, our workplaces, our communities, this church, for the glory of God. Jesus says, verse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, let this be us. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word. They understand it. Not because they're more brilliant than anybody else, because there's a desire, there's a humility, and the work of the Holy Spirit in them is helping them put it together. They're not rejecting, they're not resisting, they're not rebelling, they're not hanging on to their sin. They're, they're doing the good work in their hearts with the work and grace of God. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold. Nothing goes a hundredfold unless the hand of God is on it. Gentlemen, the work that God wants to do in your life, a hundredfold of godliness, a hundredfold of righteousness, a hundredfold of Christ-likeness, a hundredfold of effectiveness for the glory of God. God's hand will be on you, men, a hundredfold. Another 60, another 30. I can see Jesus smiling when he gets to this place, how his heart is grieved at these other souls, but he looks, and we're not in the majority A fourth of the soils, only a fourth of the good soil. 
And I can see him when he gets to this place, the smile that comes over his face, the thought of his word overtaking and overcoming somebody's life, somebody's home, somebody's family, somebody's workplace, somebody's community, somebody's church. Jesus just envisioning this amazing field ripe with godliness and righteousness and purpose. Think about that, men. The word of God will grow exponentially in hearts that are desperate for and depending on Jesus and his word to do a deep work in our hearts. And my question to you men this morning is, are you ready and willing this morning to invite Jesus today to plow deeply this morning into your heart? To just throw your heart open and bare before the Lord and say, Jesus, I invite you and I need you to dig deep in my heart today and make my heart ready for what I believe you intend to do. God, this is our prayer. That men and women, students, boys and girls alike, God, that we have heard your word today. And God, I pray that your word is finding a softness of soil in our hearts that maybe has been a little more rare as of late. Holy Spirit, would you work in us and cultivate hearts today to receive the life-changing word of God. God, I do pray specifically for the men of Grace Life this morning. That this would be a day of transformation where that begins. And God, I believe for many of us it begins with this perfect timing, God, in your plan to place us in this first parable today. We need to hear this. So God, would you make us ready? How about it, men? How about it, gentlemen? Just another Sunday? Just, just another one where the seed of God's word hits and does what it always does or does it hit different today? Does it hit deeper today? Do you want to hear it? Do you want to see it? Do you want to understand it? Do you want to experience it? Do you want to walk in it? Say yes. That's all Jesus is looking for. And that day on that boat, speaking of that amphitheater, there were a whole bunch of no's. But there were some yeses. God used those yeses to change the world. And I believe if you'll give God your yes this morning, gentlemen, and be ready for what God wants to do in your life this day and this night, I believe God can change the world through your yes. Not you, not I, but Christ in us, our King, His kingdom, His glory.
I wanna invite you to stand and let's worship him. Let's respond to his word. Men, maybe we need to be at the altar this morning. Maybe we need to make it an altar where we're standing right now. Let's go before the Lord, gentlemen. Let's ask God to go deeper in our hearts today.